Greetings and welcome to Flanagan's Ecologic. I am your host, Ted Flanagan, and delighted to have Ted Bardicke join us today. He's the Chief Executive Officer of Clean Power Alliance. It's the largest community choice aggregator in the United States. I've known Ted for many years and I look forward to talking to him about how CCAs can enhance our sustainable energy future. Hey, Ted, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Great. I'm doing great. Good to see you, Ted. Good to see you, too. Hey, you've been at the helm of the of Clean Power Alliance for now for five years. How's it going? Oh, well, it's going really well. We've become the largest uh, community choice aggregator in the state of California, um, a very large player in the in the Western energy markets. And, uh, you know, one of the exciting things is we now have more customers getting 100% renewable energy than any utility in the nation. So, uh, you know, it's nice to be big, but just being big isn't, isn't enough. It's what you do with that size and scale. And we're pretty excited about what we've been doing. Now, is there a larger CCA in the United States? I thought maybe we were the largest in the, in the country still. Yeah, I, probably. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, still, you know, focused on California and in, in what we're doing, but I figure, but you're probably right. I would, I would imagine. And for, for the sake of our listeners, how do you frame up the, the benefits of the, of community? What a clunky term that is community choice aggregator. Well, I, I mean, it, yes, it's a clunky term, but it actually describes what we're all about. So uh, we, we are about community. And, you know, even though we're a large energy supplier, um, we do many things that are for and reflect the values of the communities that we serve. So that's the sort of the community part. And that can range from, you know, how, you know, just basically responsive we are to customers or, you know, how we design our programs. Uh, very much with the community in mind, or, you know, some of the qualitative values that we bring to uh, our procurement practices. Uh, things like, you know, a, a big emphasis on workforce development and training the workforce of the future for the green economy, or uh, how we cite our large projects that are out in the desert to make sure that the, we are minimizing the environmental impact of of uh, our, our new energy, renewable energy uh, facilities, um, really bringing an environmental justice and uh, focus to uh, how we do our, our but again, both our projects and our procurement. Um, things that are qualitative values in addition to price and, and portfolio fit that uh, are really about what the values of the communities that, that we serve. So that's the community focus. Um, the choice is, is what we're offering. We're offering a choice where a choice didn't exist. And, uh, you know, previously, you, in, if you were in our, one of our communities, um, you got what they gave you. And, uh, and what they gave you was determined by the legislature and the San Francisco Public Utilities, uh, not the, San, the, the, the Public Utilities Commission in San Francisco, and uh, a monopoly provider. And uh, we think that choice uh, is good, 
competition is good. Competition breeds innovation. It gets people to sharpen their pencils. It uh, pushes you to try new things. And, uh, and so we're, we're offering that choice. And then the aggregator part is, you know, bringing, you know, if you're a, a, a community on its own, uh, it's hard to sort of bring the scale that you need to make these positive systemic impacts. And so we're aggregating the, the purchasing power across, in our case, 32 communities, soon to be 35. And aggregating that, that power um, is important. It's important for you know, market perspectives. It's important for political leverage. And it's uh, important for, you know, here in Southern California for bringing a shared, you know, Southern California perspective to, to the energy markets. So really well put. I'm not surprised, Ted, you're the right guy for the job. But, you know, I thought you were going to say basically we bring renewables faster and cheaper to the market. Uh, here's our, our, I mean, it seemed like that was the original claim uh, for CCAs that, uh Instead of the investor-owned utilities, which, as you described it, are regulated and, and move rather slowly, a CCA could bring renewables quickly to the market uh, and at the same price or even less cost because you don't have to pay shareholders. But I really like what you talked about. You've really gotten in into this community aspect of de developing programs. We'll talk about workforce development, environmental justice. It's, it's taken a much broader uh, focus. Well, I, I, I think, you know, started there because... Uh, you know, that's, I think we're not always going to be cheaper. <laughs> Usually we're cheaper right now. We're cheaper. Um, but I can't always promise that. So I don't like to lead with, you know, with what will we'll always be competitive. Uh, and, but I do think that the, and, and the point about the community values is yes, the part of the community values is we'd like to bring renewables, uh, quicker into the market and we are doing that. I think the, the conceptual th way that I would describe it is, you know, the, the, the regulated utility generally has a view that the um, compliance is the ceiling. We hit our compliance and that's what we do. And um, here at Clean Power Alliance, we view compliance as the floor. So we will, we will, we will comply, uh, but then we want to try to beat that because generally compliance is kind of the lowest common denominator and we want to be, you know, higher and, and, and push harder and faster. And, and you're succeeding, right? I mean, customers could opt out of Clean Power Alliance, right? And, and I know in Santa Monica, you've got tremendous retention there. And is that true of, of most of your member cities that most people are, are sticking with CPA? Yeah, so uh, we have about across our service territory of a million plus customers, uh, we have a 93% participation rate. So 93% of the customers who, who can participate in Clean Power Alliance do. Uh, and that number has been steady uh, for the past uh, three or four years. Um, so... So it's a pretty stable customer base. Clearly, uh, people believe in the value proposition and uh, like what we're selling. 
That's great. Let's let's go about all the way back in your life and t- talk about sort of what prepared you for this for this position. Born and raised somewhere on the East Coast, right, Ted? No, I was uh, born in Berkeley and raised in uh, Berkeley, Oakland, and San Francisco. So a Bay Area boy, um, a son of two. Uh, so my parents both went to Berkeley in the '60s. Uh, and, uh, so we're, they were, they were pretty far left and, uh, and I, uh, sort of was raised with, with some of those values in the household. Right. And then, uh, then off you went to the East coast for college, right? That's West, right. And, and then I, I, uh, I left, uh, I graduated uh, high school when I was 16. Uh, I skipped eighth grade. Uh, and therefore graduated pretty early, pretty young, uh, took a gap year and interned for uh, a senator in Washington, D.C., who was on the Energy and Natural Resources Committee way back when, uh-huh. uh, and, uh, and then went to college, uh, took uh, five years to graduate um, because I was, you know, doing fun stuff. Well, it sounded like it sounded like Spanish uh, studying Spanish in Mexico became part of your interest back then. Well, so so uh, uh, part of growing up, my my father uh, in the early seventies moved to uh, the Salinas Valley and the Pajaro Valley and and uh, settled in Watsonville and uh, worked a lot in uh, uh, in and around the agricultural community. Uh, in that area. And so I grew up with a lot of Spanish and, and Mexican influence in, in my uh, childhood. Um, and then uh, spent some time uh, working with uh, the Quakers in Mexico doing uh, development projects uh, while I was in college um, and uh, doing some, some service work. And so I, by the time I graduated from college, I was, I was fluent in Spanish and then uh, moved within six months of graduating, moved back to Mexico City. And that was to, to be a correspondent, right? Yeah. So I, I moved to Mexico City and it's an interesting uh, uh, tale. I kind of had two job paths that I potentially could follow. Um <clears throat> Uh, one was uh, doing sort of NGO development work for Oxfam, uh, and the other was to move into journalism or you know be more of a writer and and participate that way. And uh, you know the the stars aligned for the journalism bit. Um, and over the course of five years of being a journalist in in Mexico City, really starting at the bottom, uh, by the time I left. Uh, I was the the correspondent for the Financial Times uh, of Mexico, uh, Financial Times of, of London, uh, based in Mexico. Spent time in Central America for them. Spent some time in Haiti for them, uh, and then got an offer from the FT to move to to Bangkok in 1995, which I did. And, and you were there for I think another five six another seven. five years. In, in did my tour of Southeast Asia uh, for five years for the Financial Times in, in 
in uh, based in Bangkok, but covering all of of Southeast Asia and uh, you know right up until uh, two thousand. Oh, that must have been absolutely fascinating. Th this was after grad school at Columbia. No, this was before. So, oh. um, I you know living for ten years in Mexico City and in Bangkok for basically the entire nineteen nineties. Uh, taught me a lot about cities, <laughs> yeah. uh, as you can imagine. Taught me a lot about good food, too. Uh, you know, Thai food and Mexican food, two of the world's great cuisines. Uh -huh. uh, the, but it, it, it taught me a lot about, about uh, cities and their place in sort of global development, their place in, uh, you know, providing quality of life or lack thereof, um, their incredible suck on th their surrounding natural resources, uh, how, you know, big international cities are keyed into the global economy and with, you know, uh, you know, big implications for international finance and capital markets. Uh, so, you know, I was Faced at that time of having been out of the country for for more than a decade, and you know, was I going to continue along the journalism path, or or want to continue to to look at, at at cities and the environment in particular? Also, uh, I had been really interested, uh, you know, in both Mexico and Thailand, you know, about how the energy markets and the energy development worked uh, with whether it was, you know, Quebec in, in Mexico or, you know, proposals to build, you know, eight big dams across Laos and flood communities to, to power, you know, global development. It was just interesting to me. Yeah. And so I did decide to go back to school uh, and uh, get an urban planning degree at, at the Columbia School of Architecture. Fantastic. And then is it right after that that you went to Global Green? Is that Yeah, where? so uh, I spent a year in, in New York doing some development work and some work in green building. And uh, in 2003, moved to uh, Santa Monica uh, to join, um, you know, what was a small fledging nonprofit at that point. Uh, to work mostly with cities and affordable housing developers to uh, green their projects and their policies. Um, and uh, together with, uh, you know, our mutual friends, uh, Matt Peterson and Walker Wells really developed a, what was called the Green Urbanism Program. Uh, at uh, at Global Green, and uh, you know, was spent ten years there doing that. Uh, that's great, and then and then Matt uh, went on to being the first uh, sustainability officer for the city of Los Angeles, and you went and w was his deputy, I, I think. Originally, I was his deputy for about eighteen months, and then moved within the mayor's office to after the first sustainability plan came out. Uh, to be director of infrastructure, which I did for about three and a half years. So director of infrastructure in in uh, in the mayor's office, which 
had me working a lot with uh, with Los Angeles Department of Water and Power and uh, the five bureaus of the, the of Public Works Department. What would you say was the most rewarding part of that experience, being in the infrastructure role? Yeah, I, I think from from you know the first part of the Garcetti administration from 2013 to 2017 and I left in early 2018 was was very much about back to basics and uh, you know providing good constituent services good infrastructure services uh you know filling potholes and 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 stuff like that and and we faced the the 2015 drought during that time and and what i really think broadly speaking was the the ability to take some sustainability things whether that was in renewable energy or in the water side or in the public service you know in in, in general public works and sort of imbue sustainability features and values and metrics and into the basic functioning of the city um, and not have it be so much an add-on or a screw-on, but embedded into everything we were doing. Sounds like that's the most rewarding thing and probably the most challenging thing too. Oh yeah. And there, there were wins and losses along the way. Yeah. Uh, but, but I think that, you know, when you're working in local government or th that, to the extent that sustainability is a is something that's bolted on externally means that it can be unscrewed and unbolted <laughs> uh, and um and taken off and i think you got to kind of make it from the base and part of that structure rather than as an add-on and you know again i think that we're parts of, of what we were able to do there that that were successful there. In That's great. And then and then Gary Jarreau, another mutual friend of ours, um, was working for the county, Los Angeles County, and he put together what became Clean Power Alliance. Um, and you uh, I were recruited or applied for the position, and it must have been a little bit daunting, I was thinking, Ted. That, that well, yeah. I, I mean, I, I didn't quite at the time know frankly what I was getting into yeah um I think it dawned on me that uh maybe at my first board meeting when it was 31 board members and me <laughs> uh and Gary of course who was heavily involved in the formation and helped us uh, you know, helped a lot in those early days. Um, and there were a number of consultants on board, but uh, being the first employee uh, with a $10 million loan from the county and some consultants and some county staff helping out um, is, is, is kind of when it dawned on me that I had to, you know, first and foremost, a win the trust of the board, uh, and B, you know, build a team that was gonna, you know, able to be successful. And so I think 
you know, the, the, the two lessons that I took away from that, the first with the board is to just be open and honest and not sugarcoat things and not uh, pull punches uh, when things were going wrong and, you know, just give it to them straight and, you know, celebrate the victories and thank people for the support, but also just, you know, not, not hold back. And I think, you know, they, they, their trust was earned over time because, you know, I was pretty straightforward with them. Um, And then the other thing is to build a team. We have over 60 people who work at at Clean Power Alliance. Um, And, you know, the people who are now the chief administrative officer, the chief operating officer, the chief financial officer, and the general counsel were all people who I recruited in the first uh, 12 months, really in the first nine months of starting. And they're all still with the organization. Um, And so building that team and keeping that team uh, uh, was really, really, really important. And we wouldn't be able to do what we're doing today without without that, not only those, the high quality people, but being able to keep them excited, keep them engaged, keep them, uh, you know, keep us all rowing in the same direction. Right, and it would seem that that in order for your success, like you said early off, you may not always be the cheapest, you'd be competitive, but it seems like for your success, you need people that really understand how to purchase power out on the market, right? Did you bring in people that had you know, significant experience to do that? Oh, and way more experience than I did. You know, I I think I was hired here to, because, you know, I knew enough about everything we were going to do. Um, and I knew how to interact with a board of, of local elected officials yeah. um, and find the right balance between what, the board needs to do and what staff needs to do. Um, but many of the technical things that we're, that we're doing uh, were being handled by consultants in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I felt like part of my job was to build an institution, right? If we're gonna be the largest you know, CCA in the state, now the third largest load serving entity in, in the CAISO, you know, a major player in energy markets. We couldn't do that on a with a consultant-based system for our core operations. So part of what I was selling the, the, the technical people on to come join us is, you know, be part of this exciting thing, this new journey, uh, this, you know, startup excitement. Um, but also feel like you're you're building an institution that's going to have a five year anniversary and a ten year anniversary and a twenty five year anniversary and and you know that our kids and our grandkids will be able to point and say you know my my dad or my grandfather or my grandmother or mother or aunt or uncle did that. Yeah, how great! And you're let's see, you're you're. 
this team obviously has to go out on the market. I guess I'm more fixated on on buying resources, <laughs> which I, I think would be very challenging. But you're you're buying long term resources. You're buying short term resources. I had Karen Burns, who's the CEO of San Diego Community Power, on the podcast a few months ago, and she said, "Yeah, that's that's a really big part of the the name of the game." I was asking her, "How can you afford?" to run all these programs, these community-based programs and resiliency programs that you and I are involved with. How can you afford to do all these programs and keep your prices competitive or below, in that case, San Diego, uh, Gas and Electric, in your case, Edison? Um, it seems as though, and what she, she emphasized was, Ted, if you, if you buy properly or if you buy uh, competitively, then you have the resources to be able to provide all these other benefits in the community. Is that... Is that your take on it also? I, I worry when I see the CCAs sort of trying to do too much and I'm worried that they'll lose their competitive edge. Yeah, so um, I, I think I think rather than sort of I, I, the sort of the buying, the mechanics of the buying bit, uh, which there are plenty of people who can do, what we're really in the business of is managing risk. Um, and we face all kinds of risks. We face uh, the risks of, of, you know, sort of the market risk of commodity. Uh, we're, we're involved in electricity as a commodity. It's impacted by weather, by economic conditions, by uh, regulation, by many things we can't control. And uh, so you, you have to manage that risk. We also have to manage the risk, as you mentioned, people can opt out, we're a competitive market, people can leave us and we sign, we make long-term purchase commitments to buy energy at certain prices and, and our customers can opt out anytime. And so we face that opt-out risk um, and then, you know, we face regulatory and political risk. And so I think the way we can stay competitive and generate the resources uh, that we need to offer programs and to do innovative things is really by managing risk well. Mm -hmm. and, and we have lots of tools and we have lots of people in-house who, who do that every day. And we tend to be more conservative in our risk management than many, uh, than many others in the market. And so far that's paid dividends. Um, but being conservative means this, essentially the swings are not going to be great either on the downside or on the upside. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, we we have to just be in the business of being conservative in that way uh, and not trying to make big bets on swings in the market one way or another. That will be the downfall is making big bets. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's always tempting. Uh, but uh, I kind of say if if I knew how to bet on the market, I'd be making those bets from some yacht somewhere. <laughs> What's your vision then? Uh, you've got a, a fantastic uh, retention rate. People are happy. You're adding programs. 
is your vision to get bigger in terms of certain you mentioned you're adding a few more cities uh but is your is your vision to get quite a bit bigger or to stay at a certain size and and just grow in terms of quality or yeah so there's there's uh, uh several ways we can grow uh we can grow uh, by adding new cities and which brings us new eligible customers. And we'll be doing that in 2024, adding the cities of Hermosa Beach, Monrovia, and Santa Paula. It's about 35,000 customers. Uh, and we can continue to add new cities over time. It's a long process. Uh, and, you know, it takes two to three years at, at, at minimum to add a city. Um, and we want to be very deliberate about that. And as and there are still, you know, a few dozen cities in Los Angeles County that are that would be eligible to join us. And I think we're, you know, so that we can maintain cohesive in terms of our community values. Um, I think we're we're, we're limited to Los Angeles and, and Ventura County, um, but there's a lot of sort of growth by adding new students. So that's one way that we can grow. Um, another way we can grow is in terms of the amount of electricity we sell to our existing customers. And, uh, and that's a, a function of how we can essentially get them to fuel switch from uh natural gas for their homes and gasoline for their cars if they can power their homes with electricity and power their cars with electricity instead of those fossil fuels uh we our load will grow and then we'll our, we will grow our sales and, and improve the environment along the way. <laughs> uh, so uh, so we, we, are, we have programs and policies in place to uh, help grow the electricity share of the pie. You know, at the end of the day, people say, oh, those, the, you're really competing with Edison. Well, actually Edison's a, an electricity utility also um really we're competing with the gas company and the the gasoline refiners for market share of how people power their lives mm. um so day to day we're competing with edison for our customers and on price but the long-term competition is really the fossil fuel industry um, and that's how we're going to grow, is by winning that battle. Very interesting. Ted, just a couple of questions, uh, just sort of wrapping up here. We, we could talk about a lot of your services, and maybe we'll do that in a subsequent interview. But um, you've been at this for five years. You, you seem cool, calm, and collected. Uh, uh, how are you keeping a balance? How are you keeping all this potential, this pressure on you uh, in perspective? Well, uh I think there's there's a few ways. One is, you know, I really believe in the mission and the 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 thing that 
our communities and our board wants us to do. And, and that's, that's always very sustaining. Uh, if you can go back to that touch point of, of the mission. Um, the second way is to, you know, really lean back on the team and the team that we've uh, been able to build here. And uh, it's so exciting to watch them take on new things and watch them flourish and feel like uh, they're excited. That always makes me excited. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, people talk about the work-life balance and, and that stuff. You know, I've always worked really hard and have figured out uh, with my family how to still be a, a present husband and a present dad uh, while working really, really hard. Um, so I think it's as much looking to like why why I'm excited to continue to work hard rather than like trying to cut back the hours of the day. Yeah. And in, in, in that case, you know, again, you know, the mission, the team, and and frankly, being intellectually engaged, I think as you, you've probably seen from, from the conversation and as you know me, I, I'm just interested in the way the world works. And uh, the, the energy sector is just one of, about one of the most interesting things because it, everybody needs it. And, uh, and it's down to, you know, someone turning on the lights all the way up to big global capital. And that's where I've been, you know, ever since I was a foreign correspondent and interested in the world and, and wanting to engage. So that's how I keep myself going. Ted, thanks so much. Great talking to you today. It's been a pleasure, Ted. And, uh, Appreciate the partnership and the the, the friendship that we've had uh, over the course of a couple of decades now. Likewise. Have a good afternoon. Thanks. Bye. That's it. Thanks for listening to Flanagan's Ecologic. We'll see you next time.